Hey, everybody. Welcome to the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Watching him out there campaigning again, is, it's kind of sad. It's the political equivalent of when Michael Jordan went to play for the Wizards. But Trump's out there making speeches and now even running ads. The FBI guy after me for the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, long before my election as president, was just arrested for taking money from Russia, Russia, Russia. May he rot in hell. I, you know, sometimes I can't get over how much he reminds me of Abraham Lincoln. You know, the funny thing about Trump, uh, well, first of all, that sounds like he could have been a stand-up comic, like he's actually in a comedy club because he's just talking shit and people are laughing, except this is the former president of the United States who actually wants to be president again. But the thing I love about Trump is that he, he makes up stupid phrases like Russia, 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 and then he'll repeat them over and over again for eternity as if it's like something Martin Luther King said, you know? Here's another clip. You like DeSantis. I do, I don't dislike. I would love to see a Trump DeSantis ticket. So Trump is your absolute number one? Of course, no questions asked. We are here to support Trump today. And so why not Tim Scott or Nikki Haley? We love Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, but he has been proven to be the best president that we've ever had besides Ronald Reagan. And he has the philosophy of Ronald Reagan, so why? go with anyone else. Tim Scott would be a great vice president, however. What would be your net message to Nikki Haley right now? Work hard and campaign well. That's all I'm coming. 2024 may not be her year, though. No. No, I think she needs to wait another four years, and then it'll be her turn. It would be the Donald. Yeah. There's sure. others considering, including the likes of even Tim Scott uh, and Nikki Haley. I like Tim Scott, um, but I would vote for Donald over Tim. So, yeah. And what about Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley, I, uh, she she wouldn't even be as high as Tim. I, I've, I've met Tim Scott before. I, I like him. But Nikki Haley, I just don't think she's prepared for that, that level of position. And DeSantis? DeSantis would be an interesting question that it would be hard to, um, hard, hard to vote against. What would be ideal would be Donald DeSantis' ticket. That would be fantastic. We have an exciting episode for you today. We have California Congressman Ted Lieu coming up shortly. But let's let's talk about this Trump 2024 presidential campaign thing for a second, which brings us to our two big things of the week. So this week, Nikki Haley, uh, she announced that she's running, which prompted Trump to post on his truth social. Nikki has to follow her heart, not her honor. She should definitely run. There's so much you can unpack in that in that thing. And then uh, I think yesterday, Larry Hogan kind of threw his hat in the in the ring, uh, suggesting that he's going to be running. And this is what I thought was going to happen, where someone, and I'm actually glad it's Nikki Haley because, you know, uh, she's a woman, but she defied Trump. Uh, she flip-flopped on what she said a couple of years ago when she vowed that she wouldn't run if Trump was going to run again. And now that she's done it, you're going to just see them all coming out of the woodwork. You're going to see Sununu and Yunkin and just Christy Nome. They're just all going to come out, you know, uh, and announce Pence. So we're probably going to end up with this another uh, slate of uh, 15 candidates like we did in 2016. What's frightening is that, like 2016, because he still holds 20 to 30% of the party, he, if he gets that same 30% and they each get 3, 4, 5%, he's the nominee. He's not going to become president. But do we want Trump as the nominee? I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I don't really want him as the nominee, but also I'm torn as well because we want to win in 2024. But I think Nikki, Nikki Haley is a going to be a terrible candidate. She's polling, you know, above Pompeo, but uh, below Pence at this point. Mm -hmm. And we know that Pence has absolutely no chance. And basically, you know, Hogan or Sununu or what people might consider rational Republicans, they have absolutely no chance, but there's going to be a dozen more of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not yet prepared to agree that they have no chance. I will agree that they... they likely have little chance. But as we all know, politics is a crazy game and a lot can happen in the next six months, 12 months. You know, I mean, do they have a chance if Trump is indicted? Does that change the game? No. Why not? Not at all. Because, I mean, 
I, I wouldn't want to like sell my children, but I will take any bet that anybody wants. <laughs> so you're betting your children. Well, I mean, they're nice, but Gabe, what, what's uh, the other one? Jed, Jed, I'd Gabe, and Jed. Children. If you're listening, mom is betting you, you guys. So he's. I'm. There is no doubt in my mind that he's going to be the nominee. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced of that yet. I'm. I'm usually a big skeptic, and I never underestimate never underestimate Trump. But I think the landscape—it's like the tectonic plates are moving under the surface of the of the Earth of, of the of America, let's say, or wherever there's an earthquake, and there's going to be an earthquake coming, and that earthquake is going to change the dynamic for him. But if it's not Trump, you can't believe that it's going to be Nikki Haley. It won't be Nikki Haley, but you know, we were talking about this uh, last night. Chris Christie is another one who's probably going to throw his hat in the ring. Not going to get the nomination. Though. His big hat in the ring, unless Springsteen is his VP. But if you look at all the hardcore conservatives that we know and now love who not only voted for Biden, but have spent the last several years fighting to get rid of Trump and Trumpism, would those guys go back and vote for a Haley uh, um, or Hogan or Chris Christie or a Youngkin, even a DeSantis? Are they going to get back those votes? Not during a primary. I'm just trying to understand what base you're looking at, because it's not the Republican base. <laughs> well, there is some wishful thinking in here. I am a little naive as well, contrary to public opinion. But it is interesting to see that they're all they're all coming out of the woodwork now. And we're I would say three to four weeks from now, we're going we're gonna to have 10 to 15 candidates. And then it's going to be just a complete um, shit show. The, and I say this again and again and again, the fact that Trump not only is running, but he is still the front runner after inciting an insurrection. It's just, it's mind numbing. The second big thing this week is the, the chaos and the drama and the hypocrisy and the shame of what's going on in the House of Representatives. I've lived a, many decades now and I've never seen a Congress this out of control, toxic, partisan, just batshit crazy, motivated by nothing but you know, being vindictive and petty and evil. Evil. I mean, it's just evil. It's a culmination of decades of gerrymandering and a crazy base, and this is what you get. Yeah. So, you know, they, you know, Kevin McCarthy was so desperate to be Speaker of the House. I mean, he basically begged the 20 rogue uh rebellious Republicans to, to end up voting or some of them to vote for him, most of them to vote for him. Why? I don't know. I mean, it would be like heavily campaigning to be the captain of the Titanic once you see the iceberg. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's an iceberg there. Oh, I want to I I run this ship. When you have an opportunity to, to jump off and, and go to safety. They pleaded with the American people, give us control. Give us control of this house. And what have they done? Have they listened to their constituents? Do they do anything that is important to the American people? Are they are they on any kind of credible legislative path? Are they um, doing anything to help Americans? No, what they're doing is just insane, batshit, crazy nonsense. You know, we're gonna investigate Hunter Biden. We're gonna impeach Health and Human Services Secretary Mayorkas. We're gonna investigate Fauci. We're gonna uh, we're worried about. Jill Biden calling herself doctor. We're worried about girls' vaginas and menstrual cycles. And and uh, I say girls' vaginas as if anyone else has a vagina. I'm sorry. Vaginas. I'm just going to say vaginas. They're worried Thank about vaginas. They're obsessed with vaginas, as always. They should call themselves the vagina party. But uh, that's what they're focusing on. And this week, you know, we saw Eric Swalwell of California um, and... Uh, Adam Schiff, also of California, we saw them get stripped of their key committee assignments, like in the Intelligence Committee. Yesterday, they took a vote and they stripped uh, Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar of her Foreign Affairs Committee uh, seat because, you know, there's a standard they have to live up to. Was, McCarthy was like, you know, she could be on other committees, but, you know, Foreign Service, this is a woman who said some things that were, you know, people thought were anti-Semitic and... They definitely were tropes, and she apologized. She's apologized, 
I, I think pretty profusely, repeatedly, she has shown nothing but contrition. She has met with Jewish leaders. She has publicly stated that she understands why they were insensitive and dangerous comments. No one's perfect. You move on, okay? They're all fallible. We make mistakes. We apologize and hopefully move on and don't repeat those mistakes. Look at what they are rewarding. Look at, look at who uh, McCarthy is rewarding. George Santos, Lauren Boebert, Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, when you think about what what people were upset, some people were upset with Omar uh, about, and then you think of, you know, Jewish space lasers and stalking David Hogue on the street when, when he was a teenager to denying that a plane hit the Pentagon on 9-11 um, to inciting a, a, an insurrection. I mean, Bobert tweeted, I think, the day of... January 6th, that this is our, our 1776. Well, what the fuck was that supposed to mean? You know, for all you history buffs out there, you know, what happened on 1776? Those people are okay. They are okay to serve in McCarthy's caucus, McCarthy's Congress on the committees, but not Swalwell, Schiff, and Elon Omar. Well, that's because... This has got nothing to do with anything other than political retribution, and that's their other big task. Yeah, and racism. But, you know, when you think of Paul Gosar, the guy tweeted out images of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Joe Biden getting murdered. Have they apologized? Have they met with AOC and said, we understand why this was hurtful and dangerous, but yet they get rewarded. The woman who made some mistakes and apologized and has genuine contrition, she gets booted off. By the way, she's a woman of color. I mean, somebody like her who came out of the refugee camps in Africa, who brings to the Congress a, a unique perspective about what it's like to be an, an immigrant, to uh, escape persecution or, or economic suffering. Like, we need that kind of, of diversification and perspective in Congress. And so it's no coincidence that she's she was booted be, because she's a woman of color. And a Muslim. It's a triple threat to right. the GOP. Yeah. So it's, this, is, this is what you voted into control, uh, Republicans. I don't know. Are we up to seven who listen to this podcast now? Still at five. Still at five. So that brings us uh, to this week's winners and losers. Who wants to go first? Let's go, Jen. My winner is Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg for moving ahead with a grand jury investigation into Donald Trump's involvement in hush money payments to stripper Stormy Daniels, with whom he allegedly had an affair ahead of the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. My loser, the MAGA Republicans in Congress have replaced their American flag lapel pins with AR-15 pins. So the MAGA Republicans have shown their fealty to the NRA and simultaneously disrespecting all the victims of gun violence. That makes me really angry. My winner is, not surprisingly, after Americans paid exorbitant gas prices, ExxonMobil reported $56 billion in profit last year, its largest annual haul ever. So Exxon proves once again that it's first and foremost a wealth extraction corporation. And my loser is CNN CEO Chris Licht, for his failed strategy to move CNN to the right and recently suffered its worst ratings week in nine years. And now in a desperate attempt to turn things around, he's going to add Bill Maher to his Friday night lineup for the overtime segment, which is just another catastrophe. Mm -hmm. My winner this week is Nikki Haley, who has bigger testicles than Ron DeSantis and all the other GOP men who are too chicken shit of Trump to announce their own campaigns for president. My loser, Donald Trump, who saw, as Jen said, the Manhattan DA's office on Monday begin presenting evidence to a grand jury in the Stormy Daniels hush money criminal case, which is a nice segue into this week's rant. So let's talk about Donald Trump. You know, that ignorant, pathologically lying, pussy-grabbing, sexual abusing, anti-Semitic, racist, homophobic, xenophobic, corrupt, massively investigated, soon to be indicted, twice impeached, election-stealing, democracy-raping, dictator wannabe sociopath, or who Republicans call our guy for 24. I'm sticking to my prediction, or more so my guarantee, that Trump will be indicted. But what the fuck is taking so damn long? It's been two years since the deadly January 6th insurrection. Even longer for the, I just want to find 11,708 
80 votes, Georgia phone call. His blatant tax evasion, his financial fraud, the monuments violations, the Stormy Daniels hush money crimes. I mean, how long should it reasonably take to indict a former president who, remember, we couldn't indict while he was a sitting president? Whether it's Attorney General Merrick Garland playing politics with his special counsel appointments or the Southern District of New York having played politics with its decision not to pursue an indictment, the nation's justice system may not be living up to the longstanding rule that no one is above the law. Those who spew irresponsible bullshit about the risks of prosecuting him need to sit down and shut up because the risks to our fragile democracy of not doing so or multiplied by a thousand. And the further we get from these crimes, and the closer we get to the 24 election, the more complicated this all gets for Garland, because there's a long span between indictment and the ultimate goal of prosecution and conviction. He needs to get off his ass and indict, now. Donald Trump was not a king or a dictator, and he cannot be above the law, because if he is, the next, much smarter Republican president armed with a jacked-up GOP Congress, poisoned by tribal partisan toxicity, may achieve the absolute power Trump was too stupid and inept to obtain. And then our democracy is truly dead. So let's bring out Congressman Ted Lieu. He represents California's 36th Congressional District in the United States House of Representatives. Ted is serving in his fifth term in Congress and currently sits on the House Judiciary, Foreign Affairs, and Science, Space, and Technology Committees. He was also elected by his colleagues to serve as vice chair of the Democratic Caucus, making him the highest-ranking Asian American to ever have served in the House leadership. Ted is a veteran, having served on active duty and then um, in reserve for the Air Force. He retired from the reserve in 2021 with the rank of colonel. Congressman, welcome into the back room. Honored to be on your show, Andy. It is an honor to have you here. You are one of my favorite people in Congress and one of the toughest fighters that we have on our side. So it is truly an honor uh, to have you here. I do want to get into all the meaty stuff, but I just want to take a couple of steps backward and get to know you a little. One thing I noticed that I love is your Twitter bio. You say you are a husband of Betty, the love of my life, father of two great kids, You're a United States Air Force veteran, member of Congress, in that order. And also, empathy is good. That's a great bio. Was that your first Twitter bio, or was that like a work in progress that you landed on eventually? Uh, That was a work in progress. Uh, I always knew those facts to be true. Mm -hmm. I just never really put in a bio that way. Uh, But I think one of my original bios was under the former president. And I think I said something to effect of that. I don't work for Putin. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, you might want to keep that one in even and, and maybe amend it a little to make it more updated. I want to talk to you about um, your childhood. I want to know what you were like uh, briefly. Were you always political? Did you always have your eye on, on this crazy game? Uh, or was that something that came to you later, later on in life? You're in, you're really oh, interested. to me later. Uh, my parents immigrated here and we were poor. We started off living in the basement of a person's home and they went to flea markets to sell mm-hmm. gifts to make a meat. Mm-hmm. And eventually through hard work, they were able to open one gift store in a shopping plaza. Then they worked seven days a week, saved up their money. And then they opened over six gift and jewelry stores and shopping malls. Mm. My brother and I helped watch those stores because we were free labor. Uh, So my life growing up was essentially uh, working at gift stores and selling stuff to people, make sure they didn't steal stuff and operate a cash register. Uh, Politics was the furthest thing from my mind. When, so when did it enter your mind? So at some point uh, I realized that my parents had achieved the American dream. Uh, They went from being poor to a home gave my brother and I an amazing education. Uh, My brother is now a doctor and my parents still remind me of that. (laughs) Uh, But it's one reason I joined the U.S. Air Force on active duty and one reason I stayed in the reserves. I retired last year at the rank of colonel. Mm -hmm. And it's one reason I'm in politics uh, to make sure that this dream remains open for people who want to work hard and succeed. And America has given 
to my family uh, so much. And it's also a story that's not unusual. This story is replicated millions of times across generations. And America is really an exceptional country that allows this to happen. Mm -hmm. And when you were going through that aspirational process and inspirational process and looking at Washington and saying, okay, I, you know, if I want to, I want to be a part of the system and you can't really change the system unless you're part of the system. Is there much difference in what you think now versus then? When Are, are you at a point today where you're like, how the hell did I get into this crazy system? Because it is nuts now. And it probably wasn't that way when you uh, first started thinking about politics, even before you ran. It was a much different game. That is correct. Uh, my first elected position, I was on the Torrance City Council uh where I live with my wife and two kids and it's our hometown. And so you worked on a nonpartisan basis and we got a lot done. And then when I went to California State Legislature, I was there for nearly nine years. I worked on a number of issues with Republicans, whether it was bills or hearings or letters. And that's because uh, at that time, uh, we didn't have wingnuts and crazies. <laughs> but now when you look at the Republican caucus, uh, they're unfortunately controlled by a lot of crazy Republicans with very extreme and dangerous views. Mm -hmm. And to that point, I want to ask you about something that's in the news this morning, the, the Chinese high-altitude surveillance balloon. I want to ask you, is that something that your colleague Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, Jewish space lasers might be able to take out? You know, it's sort of interesting. I was just reading about it because this is pretty uh, recent breaking news, and... I was wondering, well, why didn't the United States take it down? Uh, and so we're going to sort of get briefings on that. My understanding is they didn't want debris to be, you know, hitting on any, anybody. And maybe that's a legitimate reason, or maybe they didn't think it was that big a deal. I don't know. So we're going to get briefed on that. Mm -hmm. Well, I just saw like maybe 10 minutes ago that they've concluded that it was more of like a, uh, just like a, a private, like consumer travel thing or something. It's not even a uh, oh, a spy vehicle or whatever. I, I The whole thing is just kind of nuts, but it it just reminds me of the kind of lunacy that we... Because like you could probably go into half of the Republican base right now and they would say, yeah, shoot it down with the Jewish space lasers. Like, yeah. that's how crazy things are. So let's talk about the House. It, it's got to be a crazy place to work. Like this week, yesterday, there's a vote to boot Representative Ilhan Omar from her uh, committee seat on the on the Foreign uh, Affairs Committee. Then you have Eric Swallow, your California co-Congress people, and Eric Schiff in, in just this small, petty, vindictive kind of toxic partisan uh, game that they're playing. Like, how do you get, how, how do you, what is the next two years going to be like if that's really the only place they're at, impeaching you know, Mayorkas and investigating Biden and Fauci and blah, 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 and Hunter Biden. Like, how are you going to just go to work every day and maintain your sanity? Democrats are absolutely going to highlight uh, that we are focused on putting people over politics on better paying jobs, lower costs and safer communities. And we're going to show the Republicans instead are focused on extreme and dangerous ideas like imposing a national sales tax of 30% and focused on stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. Like what did Twitter say about a widespread New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop? Mm -hmm. Now on the very specific issue uh, of removing Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell and Ilhan Omar from committees, I just want to note that none of them strengthen workplace violence. Mm -hmm. The reason that Representatives Green and Gosar on the Republican side were removed is because they were threatening workplace violence. Mm -hmm. Any member of Congress who does that should be removed. I don't care whether they're a Democrat or Republican. And for the House Republicans who somehow equate uh, these folks is absolutely nonsense. It's like comparing apples and automobiles. So Democrats are actually going to highlight that we're focused on trying to move the American family forward. And Republicans are focused on extreme and dangerous ideas and also stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's not even workplace uh, violence, so to speak. The, the images were depicting murder, murder of your colleague, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and even President Biden. So it's just like the worst of the of the worst. And yet, you know, people like them, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Boebert, Gosar, they, you know, Santos, they, they're rewarded with these key committee positions. At the same time, people like Omar and, and Schiff and Swallow are 
punished for, you know, I mean, Representative Omar, I'm a Jew, so I'm not going to diminish that controversy. You know, there were people upset about the things she said, but she has apologized. I've seen her apologize multiple times. I've seen the contrition, which appears genuine. I've seen her say that she's met with Jewish leaders and she understands how her comments could have been insensitive and hurtful and even dangerous. And so there's a process that she, as a human being, went through that hopefully, you know, we all go through where we make mistakes and understand the mistakes we made and the hurt that came out of it and apologize and move on as a better person. And, uh, but Swalwell, I mean, what's the, what, what, what is even there for Swalwell and, and Schiff? It's nothing. It's just pure vindictiveness over Gosar and, and Green. So one reason that this is happening is because the House of Uncaucus has now been captured by the crazies. And how do we know that? Well, just see how long it took Speaker McCarthy to be elected Speaker. He mm-hmm. knew for over two months since last November that he was going to be Speaker. Mm-hmm. He had all that time to lock up his votes. And what's the reason he went through 14 humiliating rounds of losing on national TV? Because he didn't want to make the concessions that he then made on the 15th round. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. Mm-hmm. He made all these concessions that he held out to not make, and then he was forced to make them, and they were giving the extreme dangerous wing of the Reborn Caucus tremendous power. And so we're going to see if he can govern the next two years. I know that one of his major promises was that the Republicans are going to read the Constitution on the first day on the House floor. Mm-hmm. He couldn't even execute that. Mm-hmm. And what, so what's going to happen, what do you think is going to happen with Santos? And then I want to ask you about the debt ceiling uh, and where you think that's headed. So let's talk about Santos. Is he 30 days from now, 60 days from now, are we going to be talking about a much different story or is it just going to be the same? Like, we can't believe Santos is still there. And do we want him there? Do we want to hold him up as Democrats and have him there? Isn't he like the biggest, you know, poster boy for all of this corruption and and toxicity and, and ineptitude? For the good of their institution of our country, I believe George Santos should resign. He mm-hmm. should listen to his constituents. Uh, we're now upwards of 80% want him to resign. Because of pressure uh, from Democrats and from his constituents and a few Republicans, Santos has now resigned from his committees. Uh, he is still a member of Congress, unfortunately. I think he needs to look at himself in the mirror figure out who he actually is, and then resign from office. Mm -hmm. And you think that's going to happen? Expulsion certainly doesn't seem like a likely outcome. So it's either resignation or he's the poster boy for two years. Yeah, I don't know, because every other day you see another story about George Santos that seemingly gets worse. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about campaign finance violations at a scale he's making them, such Mm -hmm. as admitting that alone, or hundreds of thousands of dollars did not come from him. That's a felony. Mm-hmm. No one can give any elected official for federal office a loan of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is multiple times way past the campaign finance limit. And then media reports show that a number of his campaign finance reports list donors that actually don't exist. Uh, they don't live in those addresses or they're not real people. Mm-hmm. Uh, if all of that is true, those are multiple felonies that he has that he's engaged in. And as a former prosecutor, you see that as a serious criminal accountability issue on his part? Is he facing, you think he's facing indictment over that? If those reports are true, absolutely. Because at the scale at which he did it, mm-hmm. uh, those are felonies. You can have campaign finance violations under a certain dollar amount, they're mm-hmm. not felonies, mm-hmm. but the scale of his, if they are true, they would be felonies and people do go to prison for those kinds of uh, violations of criminal law. Mm-hmm. And as far as the debt ceiling is concerned, I know we've we've sort of kicked that can down the road till June or so, and you know, Biden and McCarthy had their big meeting this week. Neither of them came out publicly and said anything really substantive was discussed or agreed to. Uh, McCarthy seemed to equivocate on on uh, just where he e- even is in the process, and your opponents across the aisle have not put forward anything that, in terms of you know what they're looking for, and you know so how does the negotiation start? 
uh, if that hasn't happened yet. But wh- where do you see that going? I mean, this is a party that three times under Trump, they raised the debt ceiling, but now all of a sudden they're concerned about, you know, the debt ceiling. Republicans are being completely hypocritical. They routinely raise the debt ceiling under Republican presidents, and then under Democratic presidents, somehow they say they don't want to raise it. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, this is very simple. It's simply about saying the United States is going to pay the debts we already incurred. Mm-hmm. Some of those debts incurred under President Biden. Some of those debts were incurred under the former president. Mm-hmm. And the American people understand this, right? Your American family can't just say, hey, we're not going to pay our debts. Let's go negotiate something in the future. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's say you have a car loan. You can't just say, I'm going to stop paying my monthly car loan and let's talk about how I'm going to get a cheaper car next year. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. If you don't pay your monthly car loan, your car gets taken away. Bad things happen. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to keep the Republicans from causing bad things to happen to the U.S. economy if they don't have the U.S. pay off our debts that we owe. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the, the of like political posturing, if we just cut to the chase and say, okay, it's now May 31st. Uh, Congressman, will we avoid a debt uh, a, a default? Will there be an agreement? Will the sausages get made ultimately? That's a great question. I don't know because of the concessions that Speaker McCarthy mm-hmm. made to the crazy wing of his caucus. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I hope that we're able to come to an agreement. And right now, we just want Republicans to show us their plan. Mm-hmm. They don't even tell us what it is they want to have happen. They control the House. They have the responsibility to put out a budget. They refuse to do so. So it's really hard to talk in a vacuum because they can't even tell us what they want. Mm-hmm. Well, we, on some level, don't we know what they want? They want to cut Social Security and Medicare, but that's not a pop- popular thing to make public, which is probably why they're concealing that, you know? So it's more just exactly. performative than anything else, what they're doing. They don't want to put down a writing what the, or the cuts they want to make. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't do that, then I don't even know how we could have a discussion. Mm-hmm. If they really want to reduce spending, that is a conversation that all of us are happy to have and talk about. But you can't just not pay the debts the United States has already incurred. Right. So you were in the news. I'm really pleased that we were able to get you on this morning because you were in the news this week with, I think, two very serious issues that you're involved in and uh, have spoken out on. The first is the Russia inquiry and the Durham investigation and that you've sort of teamed with Daniel uh, Goldman of New York to request of the Department of Justice that they investigate this bar Durham craziness. And it just, I mean, I'm not a former prosecutor. I'm not a current prosecutor. I'm not a lawyer been around a block enough to know that the shit that seems like that went down then is certainly unethical, maybe even illegal, and definitely needs to be looked into. Is this something you think is going to gain traction based on what you and Goldman are are requesting? I do. And we've made a request to the inspector general. We sent him a letter to investigate Bill Barr and John Durham for weaponizing the Department of Justice to go after a false conspiracy theory that somehow the deep state uh, or Hillary Clinton uh, caused the FBI to investigate the Russia-Trump ties. What we know is that the Inspector General himself did a full independent investigation and concluded Mm -hmm. that the FBI uh, did not have any political motives for opening up the Russia-Trump inquiry and that the FBI had a sufficient basis to do so. Also, I think people should know federal prosecutors have an insanely high conviction rate. If you are indicted by a federal prosecutor, you are in huge trouble because they have the entire weight of their whole federal department of justice and all the resources to go after you. They would have dotted their T's and crossed their I's and made sure that all the evidence in order and people get convicted at extremely high rates on the order of 97%. John Durham went after two people in his fruitless four-year investigation, and he indicted them, and he lost at trial. Mm-hmm. That is rare. And what that tells me is he didn't have the evidence that he was doing this likely for political reasons, 
and we need to have an investigation. And what the New York Times reported very disturbingly is that John Durham tried to pressure the Inspector General to not release the part of his report that said the FBI had a sufficient basis to open the Russia Trump inquiry. And to me, uh, that is very damning. And also this Italian tip, which is the most ironic thing of all, is that, yes, we, we did uncover potential criminality, but it wasn't in the Russia investigation. It was with Donald Trump. What is happening with that? Like, what, do we have any sense of what that involved and, and why it was squashed by Durham? And are we ever going to learn what this tip was about? That's a great question. So our hope is that the Inspector General will also try to shed some light on what happened there. But it's worse than just what you stated. What the American public saw and believed is that the criminal aspect of John Durham's probe was about somehow FBI officials or other Department of Justice officials who may have done some improper in the Russia Trump inquiry when in fact it was the very former president himself, Donald Trump, and this entire misleading narrative was allowed to go out to American people and John Durham and Bill Barr never corrected that. And that is uh, a huge, to me, violation of legal ethics. And certainly I think they should be disciplined for what happened there. Mm -hmm. When you put this together with everything we know about the Republican party of the last seven years, eight years, everything we know about Trump, isn't the one thing that I, I, it never ceases to amaze me and that I'm just continuously ultimately fascinated by is, is just the fact that everything they accuse Democrats of, they are literally the ones that are guilty of it. Like that there's an entire base of the Republican voter that is just completely clueless as to the colossal level of corruption and dare I say treason committed by Trump, his aides, his cabinet, his associate. I mean, it's just, it's, isn't that just startling that we still can't get accountability on any of that yet? Now that we, it may be imminently changing perhaps, hopefully, but that, that this guy is still running for president, that he's still considered a legit candidate. Like, isn't it just mind boggling just after January 6th alone? I don't disagree with anything you just said. Uh, I do want to offer some words of hope. Normally, Please. the party holding the White House gets crushed in the midterms. Mm -hmm. This time, Democrats actually increased seats in the Senate. We way overperformed the House, mm -hmm. uh, almost holding it. And that's because American people actually realized, I think, exactly what you said. They saw what was happening, that you had one party, Democrats, that were the adults in the room. And then you had this other party that was going off a cliff with denying elections, mm -hmm. with believing QAnon conspiracy theories. And I think the American people are starting to understand more and more how extreme the Republican party is. That's what the polls show. Also at the end of the day, I do think the facts speak for themselves. The jobs report for January came out showing that 517,000 jobs were created, mm -hmm. way over expectations of 100-some-thousand jobs. That is an amazing jobs report. Mm -hmm. And it shows that uh, the Democrats' policies are working, mm -hmm. the Democrats are delivering, that President Biden's policies are working. And then you contrast that with what Republicans are doing and what people are seeing on national TV, right? They're trying to kick people off committees. They're trying to impose a national sales tax of 30%. And they want to talk about what Twitter said about a New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's what the next two years are going to look like. The other thing that you were in the news this week, or maybe the tail end of last week, was with your New York Times op-ed about AI, artificial intelligence, which I, I find totally fascinating and terrifying, as you do, because your, your op-ed was titled, I'm a congressman who codes. AI freaks me out. Now, you're one of three congresspeople who have computer science degrees. Is that correct or am I off on that? I have three members of Congress that have a computer science major. That mm -hmm. is correct. Mm -hmm. So I want to just read a couple of things that you said. You know, you said as one of three, right, as one of three members of Congress with a computer science degree, I am enthralled by AI and excited about the incredible ways it will continue to advance society. 
And as a member of Congress, I am freaked out by AI, specifically AI that is left unchecked and unregulated. And uh, I, I want to know, wh what is it? I mean, I've been reading about chat GPT, which is sort of like blown through the popularity charts in a very short amount of time, maybe two, three months. Uh, they have over 100 MAUs right now, 100 million uh, m monthly active users uh, in January, 13 million daily active users, far, at, far outpacing TikTok and Instagram in reaching those levels. Uh, just this week, uh, <laughs> the bot uh, passed U.S. medical license exam, which is terrifying. How dangerous are these chatbots? And what, what made you, what are you most concerned about? So as a recovering computer science major, uh, I am enthralled and amazed by artificial intelligence and what it's done for society and will continue to do in terms of benefits. I am also freaked out mm -hmm. by the potential harms. So artificial intelligence is incredibly disruptive and it's going to cause, first of all, a number of jobs to be eliminated. It's also going to create new jobs. And I think we as a society have to prepare and think about how our society is going to transform. ChatGPT, for example, already um, makes it very difficult for professors and teachers to know if an essay was written by their student uh, or by a computer. Mm -hmm. And this is just the first public version. The next release, the next upgrade is going to come out in about uh, one or two months. It's going to be even better. I actually uh, saw a demonstration of the next version. And then you know, a year from now, two years from now, it's going to get e even better. And at some point, you're going to have such amazing artificial intelligence do so many tasks that humans currently do uh, that it's going to result in a lot of people having skills that society no longer needs. What do you do with that? And what we've seen with automation is it's eliminated a number of blue-collar jobs. Artificial intelligence is going to eliminate a number of white collar jobs, and I don't think society is ready for this yet. Mm -hmm. And specifically, what is it that's going to be eliminated? Is it the the people who sit and research and put together details? Like, is that the function of, in other words, the people who lose jobs are going to be replaced by similar people, but who have chat GPT type skills, so that they can make their jobs more efficient? and not have to use as much, you know, man or woman hours in getting the job done. Like, where is the real risk to middle managers and people like that? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, so in addition to ChatGPT writing the first paragraph of my op-ed in New York Times. Which was terrifying, by the way. <laughs> we also actually wrote uh, a piece of federal legislation entirely with ChatGPT and submitted, and it's now uh, referred to a committee in Congress. And I was very pleased to have been appointed to the Science, Space, and Technology Committee. Mm -hmm. The press release announcing that was written with ChatGPT. And we jokingly had ChatGPT also, you know, in the prompt say, and please say that, you know, Ted Lewis communication staffers are wonderful people who are not going to lose their jobs. Now, it was sort of a joke, but I do want to know that that press release took basically 30 seconds to generate. Uh, and so it does increase efficiency. So mm -hmm. one of their potential benefits of this is that we're basically going to be able to have a four-day work week achieve the same productivity that we do now. So that is what we want to move to, right? We want to move to a place where artificial intelligence helps us become more efficient, more productive. The detriments are we're going to have to figure out how do we have other jobs or new possibilities for people who no longer can have the jobs that they do or less people in the jobs that they currently are in. Now, so speaking to your worst fears, how do we, I mean, obviously regulation is the whole point of what you're talking about and pushing for. How do we ultimately prevent uh, misuse and abuse? For example, I'm a huge New York Knicks fan, right? I went to Madison Square Garden the other night with my son. We saw LeBron James and the Lakers play. And I learned through your op-ed that uh, James Dolan, who is a terribly unpopular, uh, inept uh, NBA owner, unlike someone like a Mark Cuban, um, he's decided that he's going to use this type of AI with specific 
uh, facial rec technology so that if instead of me being Andy Ostroy, uh, podcaster, if I was Andy Ostroy, litigator, who was involved in a lawsuit in my firm against MSG Entertainment, facial rec would stop me when I present my ticket and, and someone would say to me, you can't come in because you're on an attorney exclusion list. He is currently doing that. And there are people that have lost, they, this is one woman I read about, she showed up with a Girl Scout troop for their annual event and she couldn't, she was chaperoning her kid and this girl, and she couldn't get, she couldn't get in. Other people were there for birthdays and celebrations and they couldn't, that's dangerous. Like I, like, okay, I think James Dolan is an asshole. Am I now going to end up on some exclusion list where if I show up at a game next week at Madison Square Garden, they're going to be like, you know what? You're on the exclusion list. You can't get in because you pissed off a very insecure James Dolan. Uh, I worked uh, over two years on facial recognition with multiple stakeholders, and we uh, did introduce a bill this year uh, uh, to regulate facial recognition. So in addition to the privacy concerns that you identified, it also currently is less accurate for people with darker skin. And so if you deploy this all over the place, not only are you going to be invading people's privacy, but also minorities are going to be misidentified at higher rates. And to me, that's just a massive equal protection violation. So there's all sorts of problems. Now, from this experience, I did realize because it took so long to even introduce a bill that made sense, that there was no way that you could just legislate and regulate artificial intelligence on every specific application of AI. It'd be sort of impossible for Congress to do that which is why I think ultimately we're gonna need some sort of federal agency uh, to regulate AI. Also because federal agencies are much more nimble. If they make a mistake, they can correct it without needing another act of Congress. And I think that's the direction we're gonna to have to go. And that's why I'm working on legislation right now to create a bipartisan blue ribbon commission to make recommendations to Congress on how we would establish such a federal agency. Uh, or if we're not, how else we can go ahead and regulate AI in a way that makes sense. Yeah, and and this is all truly terrifying in its worst case scenario. And you, you tweeted something else yesterday about the Aurora supercomputer. You said, what happens when you combine revolutionary, revolutionary software advancements in AI with revolutionary hardware advancements such as exascale computers that are a million times faster? I don't know, but I know society is not ready for this. We need to prepare now. So it just seems like this problem is getting compounded with software and now hardware issues. And can we keep, you know, when you, one of my favorite things in the last few years was to watch Congress like grill Mark Zuckerberg. And like when you see these, like, you know, Chuck Grassley trying to understand social media, like these people are clueless, right? How are they supposed to wrap their old, white, rich, Republican, conservative heads around AI and Aurora supercomputers? So I think one way is to think about AI in different buckets in terms of consequences. One is job displacement. Another is the privacy issues we talked about or discrimination issues, issues related to bias. Another bucket are things that can kill us, right? And so... Um, I was looking at the comments uh, to that post I made and, and a number of them sort of said Skynet. Uh, so if anyone watched Terminator movies, that's basically the computer program that took over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is not just a science fiction possibility. So I'm working on legislation right now that thinks about, okay, where do we need a human in the loop? And one of those areas to me is the launch of nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And my view is I don't care how advanced AI is, we cannot let it alone make the decision on whether to launch nuclear weapons. We need to make sure there's a human who actually makes that decision for any nuclear weapon that is launched at any point in time. Mm -hmm. So I think another thing we have to think about is how do we put limits on AI in places and areas that can kill us? Mm -hmm. Well, good luck with that. My last question to you uh, is unrelated, but it's one we ask often here in the back room because we try to get a window into people's souls and have our audience uh, get to know the person, not just the, the congressman. So uh, music is a great window into, into the soul. Give me your top five musical artists of all time. My music appreciation uh, stopped in the 1980s. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I like, uh, I call them the three Bs. Uh, I do like uh, Pat. 
uh, Benatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like Berlin. Mm. I do like Blondie. Um, and then you want me to give you two more. Or maybe, let me try to think of some recent ones. And you can use another letter well, in the alphabet, by the way. Uh, oh, so I did actually, this is not recent. Uh, Elton John, I do like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I am a little sad that he has no more tours in the United States. And he's going to do a few more tours, uh, I think, in England. But he has an amazing list of songs that's just quite unbelievable to, to listen to them. Um, and then... Um, I do have a band that I think people might be surprised I like. Uh, it'd be Cinderella. Uh, they have um, some cool songs, including this rock ballad uh, that that is quite good. Kind of 90s band, Cinderella? I think they're 80s, maybe 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good list, and I'm glad you gave it to us. And I'm glad you came in. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. Hope you'll come back. Good luck with all this amazing stuff you're working on. It is truly important. You're a great guy. You've got a big set of cojones, as they say. And uh, we appreciate you fighting for not just Democrats, but for every American, even if they don't understand what the hell you're doing for them. So thank you. I thank you, Andy. Honored to be on your show. Already. Take care. That's episode 39. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jenna Mood, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wynn and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, Congressman Ted Liu. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.